What's going on, people? I want to welcome all of you to another Q on One podcast edition of the Talk to Q radio show. My name is Quincy, and this is my show. And I am brought to you by my official sponsor, Truth Devour, the award-winning Australian author with the new book called Wanting. But without further ado, I'll get to my guest. She's a former public relations representative. She's an author, fitness expert, a mom, and more. Um, I wanted to have her on to talk about her newest book, Mischievous in Hollywood, My Zany Adventures, excuse me, My Zany Years Spent Working in Tinseltown. Now making her way in Santa Monica, California, please welcome Miss Lisa J. Davis to the Talk to Q radio show. Hi. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? I am doing well. I'm doing well. Trying to adapt to the video thing. You know, I'm, I'm more of an audiophile, so this is kind of new to me. But what better person to start it with than with you? Yay. <laughs> Yay. All right. Now, when I first came into contact with you back in, I believe it was around the summer of 2012, um, you were a PR person for an actress. Um However, you're also an author, a fitness expert. You do motivational speaking. How in the world did you wind up with multiple careers? Because so many people would be just happy with one. But how did you wind up in that, and how do you manage that? Well, (laughs) it's funny, the question here, because living here in Los Angeles, pretty much everyone you meet has multiple careers. Um, Because... A lot of people you will find, you know, there's that old joke that everyone who says they're a producer is really an, a waiter or, <laughs> right. but that's their, that's their real job, but they're trying to become a producer. And so you meet a lot of people who do, you know, they're dog walkers, they're waitresses or, you know, whatever, multiple different careers, quote unquote, um, while they're pursuing their dreams. And um, so I guess for me, when I first met you, my job career, and I was very good at it and enjoyed it, was publicity for businesses, people, you know, whatever. And um, my dream, you know, what I was pursuing was writing and writing my books and things like that. And I was doing that all along. I had been, I started my book that we're going to talk about back in 2006, 2007, somewhere in there, actually. Long ago. Yeah, so that w- that had been going on all along. Um, so even then, I just didn't publicize that I was an author or a writer. I had my blog. As you know, that's how we met. And um, I think that's how we met. But um, anyhow, I... Um, I had been doing all of that. And at the same time, I was always into fitness and staying healthy and that sort of thing. And so when I decided to make the transition, it was during that economic downturn. I started to sort of try some different things in publicity. That was in 2008. And I was still doing it, as you know, as you uh, so aptly put in 2012, when, you know, I had you interview a couple of clients. But Anyway, I um, had been doing this all along, and then when I finally decided, okay, now it's time to actually seriously pursue this, I had to take something uh, work-wise that was a little less 
invasive and a little less, de little less demanding and time-consuming than PR. Right. And uh, so I got certified in a fitness method that I had been taking and since then have be gone through my classical Pilates certification. I had done yoga teacher training already. So all of this was kind of just part of me anyway, and I think that's how it sort of came together. Okay. Well, anytime you can do anything that's part of you, then that's the, the best job in the world to have. For sure. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so true. Right. And um, I get to I get to stay fit while I'm doing my job. So, you know, can't complain there. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, now let's talk about you getting to Hollywood, so to speak, or arriving in Hollywood. Um, you talk about in your book um, about your divorce, and you say that it's thrusted you into Hollywood. Now, what did you mean by that? How did it play a role in you winding up? as you know Hollywood because the reason I say I was thrust into Hollywood or sprung on Hollywood is because Hollywood didn't know what to expect and what they were in for um, I was newly divorced single mom and I was on the loose <laughs> you know so I was you know here I was suddenly footloose and fancy free and able to pursue whatever kind of career dream whatever I chose and um, I was, my heart was filled with glee. <laughs> and um, I went to every event I could, you know, be, get an invite to. I networked as much as I could. I went to everything to try and break into working in television behind the scenes, producing, uh, you know, whatever it took. So um, that's. That's kind of where you know it, people who read the book will find out what I mean by you know poor unsuspecting Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> they just weren't prepared for you know mischievous on the loose. <laughs> All so. right, I mean, so you worked in Hollywood and you were a single parent, of course, after the divorce. And we see how Hollywood lives play out on, you know, Entertainment Tonight or TMZ. It's, it looks chaotic 24-7. All the parties and then, you know, you're living in A, living in L.A., going to Aspen, New York City. How difficult was it being a single parent in that fast-moving type of environment? It was, you know, it was challenge. The biggest challenge for me was finding the balance because I had, when I first got divorced, I had somebody living with us to help care for my son. Mm -hmm. And um, and actually, that probably lasted the, most of the time while I was working in television. So, you know, three to four years, I had somebody living with me to help care for my son. Mm -hmm. So my younger son, my older son was already grown and had moved out with a friend. So um, that that was a huge help and I have to say you know initially the you know in part of the divorce my um, my agreement was that that would be taken care of for just I think it was about six months and shortly after that I had to finagle and I'm a big finagler <laughs> I have to say I found um, you know, and I wouldn't necessarily recommend this, especially these days. Back then, and I talk about this in the book too, the internet, online dating, all of that was really brand new. People yeah. were barely scratching the surface. This was 2004 or 2001 to 2004, 2005. So it was 
it was a different world. So I was able to, I think Craigslist was pretty well known for, but it, you hadn't heard of catfishing or any of that kind of thing. So you would find people to babysit on Craigslist. I mean, that's how, how I guess, um, innocent we were back then. <laughs> and I was very fortunate because I'm sure even then there were bad things happening. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and there were, I remember hearing of things, but you, you know, you learn to approach these new platforms with whatever kind of safeguards that you could. So I found a couple of nannies who wanted to live in LA and wanted to be able to, you know, while my son was in school, pursue their dreams. And I provided them a living, um, and, a, a, you know, a very small stipend <laughs> and, and, but the, you know, room and board. And in exchange, I had nanny services. And back then I was able to make that work. And so, that's how I did it. I would have to travel for a show. That's when they'd have to be on 24-7. If, you know, if I was home, they only had to be on, you know, when I was at work at night or during the day. And, you know, my son was in school. So it was a pretty cush job, actually. And my son went to visit his dad, who was out of state, who had moved um, during the school break. So they had all that time off as well. So... Um, that's how I finagled that. And it was still challenging finding the balance because no matter how you size it up, mommy is what your kids want, not right. nanny, you know? So it was constantly, uh, looking back, looking at my situation and going, okay, I need to rein it in a little bit here and let's, mm -hmm. let's get back to the basics and what's important. And so that's what I did. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Well, you have my vote for the newest word word for the dictionary, finagler. I, I, <laughs> I think that should be the word of 2015. All right. All right. So well, let's, <laughs> let's go backwards for a second um, because you had other challenges as well. Now, in 2011, you were diagnosed with the BRCA2 um, gene, all right, which is something that I've actually discussed on the show before um, when Angelina Jolie uh, took measures um, regarding mm -hmm. that. Now, cancer is really big. I understand it all too well. Um, I lost my wife of 10 years back in 2012 to breast cancer. Um, uh. But you took an extreme approach to protecting yourself um, with the surgeries you went through. Uh, can, can you discuss that and how difficult of, of, the, of a decision it was? <clears throat> yes. <laughs> I can. Um, for me, it was it was a no brainer. I discovered the gene through a very diligent gynecologist who um, I was actually going in to have a little nip tuck done. <laughs> um, Hollywood, and, yeah, and um, basically, you know, without going into detail, I had had a a boob job earlier years before and it needed some repair. So I was going in to do that and um, my cosmetic surgeon, you know, they always require for elective surgery that you get a physical before the surgery. Okay. And I chose to go to my gynecologist. I'm like, well, I may as well let, you know. At the same time, my sister um, what had been, since I'd been seeing this gynecologist, had been struggling with ovarian cancer and it was a horrific, horrific disease and ravaged her and shredded her down to nothing at the very end. And she had just passed, uh, well, let me think about this. She was on the 
at, at near the end. Actually, let me think. In 2011, 2010 is when she passed. So she had just passed away. And my gynecologist was asking about that. And she said she had already asked me if I wanted to have the genetic screening before. And I always did. But I couldn't afford it. Insurance didn't pay for it. It was $35 at the time. And um, this time, um, the Affordable Care Act had started to um, take effect in various areas of health. And this particular test was now covered by insurance. And she said, you have no excuse. It's better if you're going in to do something in that area. Anyway, if you have the gene, it could change everything you're going to do. And she was right. <laughs> it changed everything I was going to do. So I was already going in. I was going to have them make me smaller. And um, so for me to go in and get a mastectomy and and implants and do all of that was really a no-brainer. I was already going to go smaller. I was already going to do a surgery. Mm -hmm. the, the part about the ovaries to, for me was a no-brainer because even before I knew I had the gene, I had said, I had verbal, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I had articulated to someone <laughs> how I wanted, I wish that I could get all my, you know, plumbing just removed because mm -hmm. I knew that kind of stuff could be hereditary. You know, this is my pontificating about it with someone and I, it would be just my luck that I would have it, you know, and, and sure enough, I had it and I was like, okay, insurance covers it. Let's get it out. And so that's what I did. <laughs> and there you go. It, to me, it was not a huge decision and it wasn't, um, it wasn't a, a, you know, like I did all kinds of research and wanted to know all the different procedures. Yeah. I trusted my doctors. I just sort of went for it. My blind leap of faith sort of mentality. <laughs> okay. Okay. Jump well, first, ask questions later. <laughs> well, I mean, like you said, it's, it's a no-brainer when it comes to protecting yourself. And... Um, you know, at the time, I think we discussed this on my show, it wasn't covered by anything. It was something that you had to come out of pocket to pay. A lot of people were concerned about, you know, it being affordable and how would they afford just to see, you know, if they can, if they had the gene or not. So do you think that maybe people would be more likely to get screened if they knew that it was you know, covered by the Affordable Care Act because I didn't know that personally. So I'm pretty sure there are plenty of people out here who don't know that they may have options that they didn't have, you know, three, four years ago. Well, now here's the other thing. When I did it, it was in the Affordable Care Act uh, had not come into full swing. You know, it wasn't that requirement year or any of that kind of stuff. They didn't have the Obamacare website and they didn't have all that stuff, that big fiasco going on. It was early, early. And, okay. and the, there was a lot of play available for physicians to sort of finagle and make it happen for their patients. So for me, I only had one sister who had ovarian cancer. I come from a family of 11 children from the same parents and to only have one sister have that and we're you know I'm the youngest girl and at that time I was 44 I think so for that to have happened nowadays if I walked in the door of my doctor's office they'd say sorry insurance won't cover it because yeah. you have to have two um, relatives 
you know, that are close to you that had one of the related surgeries. Hmm. Even, but back then, even then they said, I, I really, they wanted us to have two. So they finagled because my father, who we think is the one who passed this gene down to us, had died with cancer riddled through his torso. We just never knew what kind it was. So I said, it probably was prostate. Who knows? You know, so we just sort of, I think they just pushed it through that way. Like it was either because there are many cancers that the gene covers. It's prostate, stomach, skin cancer, mostly the skin cancer of the eye, um, you know, breast cancer, ovarian cancer. Those are the two main ones. But for men, those are those other ones are really high risk. So we just sort of guessed and, and then they pushed it through. So there you go. Okay. Well, I mean, these genetic screenings sound really important um, when it comes to BRCA2. And um, I know that you're uh, really into fitness. And so were you always into fitness prior to this happening or did it come out? Okay. So it's always been a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I was an ice skater for nine years growing up. I was on the track team. I was a cheerleader. (laughs) You know, I did it all. Yeah. Again. (laughs) Just like now. Yeah. More things you're adding to the resume here. Ice (laughs) skater. And okay. Okay. That's Uh, funny. Yeah. Yeah. I'm waiting on astronaut, congresswoman, all that's coming. I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, well, here's the thing. Um, I think, Anyone who has a sibling or first-degree relative who has had either one of those cancers, and particularly young people who've had it, mm-hmm. who've had the cancers in their family, there's a very good chance that they have the gene. Um, and it may not, you know, they're learning so much. Ever since this started becoming well-known, they've learned leaps and bounds. There are other genes that point to breast and ovarian cancer that don't, that aren't the BRCA. So there's so much going on. I would recommend you go in and ask your doctor and go to a doctor who is progressive. I know people are very personal about their physicians and they want and they trust their doctor. You know, he's taking care of them through thick and thin or whatever, but I can, I cannot stress enough how much doctors are taxed with trying to be up on the newest things. And if it's not their thing, they're not going to be able to give you the right, correct advice, period. There's, I have a friend who's a leading woman in the BRCA community, and she wrote a book called Letters to Doctors because it was just appalling to her what doctors would tell patients that was completely flat-out inaccurate and wrong. And so... You know, you want to make sure that you, if you go to your doctor and it comes back negative or, or they tell you you don't need the test because, you know, of some weird thing that they purport to know, ask somebody else, yeah. period. Go to some, get another opinion. Okay. All right. Now, despite going through all of that, you managed to keep your sense of humor on top of, you know, having to raise your boys. So where did you draw the strength? To keep going, or where do you draw the strength to keep going like you do, despite all you've endured in your life with the BRCA2, your sister, the divorce, trying to reside in Hollywood? How (laughs) how did you do all that? Well, you know, you said I managed to keep my sense of humor. I didn't, it wasn't like I went, oh, I'm going through this, I better keep my sense of humor. (laughs) I had a sense of humor, and that's what got me through. 
really. It was a backwards sort of thing. I and like they say, laughter is the best medicine. I, you know, if you can't laugh at yourself, you're going to cry. <laughs> In some instances, you know, those two emotions can be very close. <clears throat> so. Um, I think that's always just been my, I think that's how I survived in a large family. You laugh a lot and, you know, you learn to laugh at yourself because, you know, all your siblings are laughing at you and, and, and you get your turn at laughing at them and everybody, you know, it's a fair game. <laughs> so I don't know. I think that's it. Really. That's really how I've managed is just, you've got to enjoy. And, and this is one of my mottos, enjoy every moment. No Matt, every moment is a teaching moment, and they're not always easy, but you can enjoy it for the lesson that you're learning, for whatever, and or you might not be thrilled with it, and you might actually hate what's going on, but you can appreciate it, you know, and savor every single morsel. So that's that's my motto. I agree with that. <laughs> I agree with that philosophy wholeheartedly. It's one of those things where it's like, don't let what you're going through right now define your life. You know, exactly. so um, I, I definitely can co-sign on that. And uh, well, let me ask you, as far as the name Mischievous, which I followed you on your blog and on Twitter, so I know it fits. But <laughs> where did that where did that derive? Well, <clears throat> it actually derived from uh, when I decided I was going to write a book. And I actually had not decided my book was going to be about being a single mom and making things happen mm -hmm. despite the odds. That was what the book was going to be about. It was not going to be about my working in Tinseltown or, you know, behind the scenes of Hollywood, which my current book is. But as I started to write the book, and it didn't have a name at the time. At the time, I was caught because I was, and I talk about this in the very beginning of the book, that somebody pegged me as a MILF which we know what that acronym stands for. If you don't, you can look it up. But if you're under 18, do not go and look it up. <laughs> it is not something you want to know. Anyway, um, they pegged me as that, and I was a little like, what? What the heck? So I was going to write a book, and I was going to call it MILF This, kind of like MILF This, mofo. Right. <laughs> and and it was going to be called Adventures of a Hot Mama or something. Milk this Adventures of a Hot Mama, and I and I was going to write this, you know, also as an answer book to. There was a popular book at the time, and I think they made a movie of it called I Don't Know How She Does It. And it was a novel. It was not nonfiction. It was you know fake. It was this story that, about this woman who had two little kids, a husband, nannies plural. Mm -hmm. and a six-figure income, and somehow could not make things happen. Her life was still unraveling things, you know. And that's that's truth, I guess. That happens for everyone. You know, you might have it all, and things can still fall apart. True. But I just was, as I was struggling when I read this book as a single mom to make ends meet. I had moved to Aspen at this time. This is after my mischievous and Hollywood years. I had moved to Aspen, bought myself a condo without a job, and got myself a job and was, you know, very, um, it was a scary, scary time in my life. And I remember reading this going, what the fuck, who the, who the, what the, how the, how did this book make it? She's, I mean, I was so incensed that this woman had so many resources and could not pull it, pull her shit together. Sorry. <laughs> 
But so I just, um, I thought, okay, I'm going to write my book then. And I started. And out of that, and, and that whole thing about the extension of me, you know, the, the career, it also translates that extension of me into my writing, who I am. And I had worked in television, and there were some funny, funny stories that came out of that time in my life. So once I started writing it, it it was less about, you know, the MILF thing and, and being in the face of that and more about me sort of flirting around Los Angeles, fluttering around. I wasn't flirting around. I was fluttering around. But at the time, a guy that I was seeing, he's the one who came up with it. He said, how about Miss Chevious? And I went, oh, oh you are the god of naming books. <laughs> but, Anyway, so it, and then the blog came first because I was told by multiple people, you've got to have, you've got to be out there and you've got to sort of develop a name for yourself before yeah. the book comes out. So that's what I did. Okay, and you've done a great job. Huh. Thank you. And it all started from the term MILF. So, so yeah. but, you know, I'm, fla <laughs> I'm flashing back right now to 21, 22 years old. Every guy my age at that time wanted, you know, just wanted some MILF and cookies. That's all. <laughs> See, so, see. All right. I hope you eighteen and under did. I hope you tuned out right then because that was a piece of information you I, I, can't unhear. I was legal, so I was legal. <laughs> yeah, true. So that's great. All right. So now you have your newest book. Uh, you know, mischievous in Hollywood. What would you like for your readers to get from this book? Um, you know, and what did it do for you to write it? Now that it's done. It's uh, out there on Amazon. People can go get, I mean, what do you want from all of this? Uh, okay. What it, I, I just loved that you said, what did it do for you to, to write it? It, to finish that book was like going to Bali. I, I only imagine I've never been going to some Island paradise and being treated, you know, VIP star treatment, the best spa day ever. Like, you don't have any worries. Everything, every weight is off of your shoulders. And it was that. It was that big, the book is done. I'm done. And, of course, then it's like, now i got to promote it. Ah! <laughs> you know, and it's that running on the treadmill that won't stop. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So that that's what doing, you know, finishing that, that accomplishment felt like. It was, you know, and really, if that's it. I'm happy <laughs> right. if I don't if I don't sell you know millions of copies and get a movie deal and you know what I don't want any I don't don't really necessarily want a movie deal but um, it wasn't about that and I was actually really a little shocked when I woke up to my inbox one morning and another radio show host that you probably heard of she emailed me and said your book is number one in on Amazon and I'm like what no. That's a mistake. <laughs> and I went, and sure enough, right next to my title, and I have it on my website, on my Facebook pages and stuff, my author page, and I have uh, photos to prove it. I took screenshots, baby. And I, had to have, I had to have that set in cement. It said, right. number one new release. And I was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. How the, you know, and I still, I mean, the book released February 1st. I don't even get my first check from the from the manufacturer because I self I independently published under my own publishing, but I don't get my first check from them until April, uh, May. 
So we're in April. So or June even. It might be June. So I have no idea. I mean, I can look at reports, but it's all really delayed. Like I think right. they're still showing I've sold 14 books. You know, it's <laughs> so it's very delayed. Yeah, and you can't be number one with 14 books. Yeah, so I'm just waiting to see. We'll see. But that kind of stuff was all just gravy. I was really thrilled to get it out. But my point, what I want people to take away from the book is it's funny. And life is funny. And here's some funny or some interesting ways to look at situations. <laughs> That's a nice way of putting it. Yes, very interesting ways of looking at situations. Okay. Okay. I think that's great. And now you sure you don't want it to be a movie? Yeah, no, I don't know. I mean, not you know, a, I'm not, not a it's lifetime not... movie or uh, I mean <laughs> No, <laughs> please not a lifetime movie. Oh my god. Life that means somebody has to die. <laughs> Well, I guess well, I guess it they would. could start it with the sad part about my sister. Well, I mean, I guess that, that doesn't sad. qualify for a lifetime movie because someone has to be either a child has to be kidnapped or yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't. Or, or, no. You have to take martial arts classes. Okay, yeah, maybe not to a defend, lifetime. I have to, yeah, I have to take martial arts classes so. to defend myself against the stalker. Yeah, right. That's not, that's it's not a lifetime movie. It's more like a Comedy Central movie or. <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, so. Well, I can I can see. Let's see, Sandra Bullock as a blonde. I, I can see that. I can see yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. Or Reese Witherspoon, she could do it. Okay, Reese. Okay. <laughs> She's getting a little old though. So. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right, so we'll get ready to wrap things up, but um, let everyone know where they can find. And, and you have more than one book, by the way, but. Um, Yes. Let everyone know where they can find you, your website or social media, whatever you want to throw out there. All right. So since we mostly talked about mischievous, I would suggest they go to that website, which is www.mscheevious.com and uh, start reading the blog. But also there's a My Books page on that website that'll tell you, you know, where you can get the books. But also, just search me on Amazon. It has all the all the books that um, are currently available. My website has uh, another book that's forthcoming listed on there, and that'll that'll be a fun ladies' book about you know getting over your ovaries. <laughs> and um, but yeah, so that would be the best place to start. And then also follow me on. Facebook and Twitter. I'm, you know, mischievous just as it sounds. And also Lisa J, J E Y. I'm all over the place. You can't miss me. Once you pull up one of my alter egos, one of my split personalities, you'll find them all. <laughs> okay. And they will definitely be entertained um, by going that route. So, well, Lisa, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, do the show and discuss your book. Mischievous in Hollywood, my only year spent working in Pennsylvania. Um, I'm, I've, I've started the book myself, and so I'm just in, I think, chapter three, I believe. Oh. And, uh, I already went through the MILF stage, which was really funny. Yeah. Uh, and you got so, to see the in the first chapter, you know, some of the highlights of me working in television. With, that was fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um I mean, I appreciate you doing this, and I definitely recommend that everyone check out the book on Amazon and to follow you. You said the website, mischievous.com, to go there, and I'm sure they can find all your other portals as well. 
Yes. All right. Well, thank you for your time. Thanks to all of you listening to this Q on One podcast edition of the Talk to Q radio show brought to you by my sponsor, Truth Devour. Um, to get more information on the show, then journey on over to TalkToQ.com. There you will find my social media portal, friends of the show, and an archive of over 450 episodes. Um, wow. Along with a calendar of upcoming events. So that's TalkToQ.com. Take care, everyone, and peace out. Congratulations on your decision to achieve a healthier lifestyle and seek optimum health. It's a noble and wise goal that will help you live a longer and healthier life. Liquid Life Drops are made from high quality and completely natural ingredients that work along with your body's natural processes to help you feel better. Our product is non-homeopathic and in liquid form. It contains no hormones and is 100% safe. It has a very pleasant taste and is sweetened with stevia. Liquid Life Drops has a variety of health benefits. Not only do they make you feel great, they also support maintaining weight and weight loss if you need to lose a few pounds. Please contact us at www.liquidlifedrops.us if you have any questions. We are here for you and success.